Well, turn with me this evening to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Your New Testament scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We'll read uh, the end of the chapter and a few verses into chapter 3. Pick up in the middle of the thought that we considered last week and then press forward into a new section this evening. So 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'll begin reading at verse 16. Again, it picks up mid-thought, but it's the thought we considered a few weeks ago. So uh, pick up in verse 16 and then read through verse 3 of chapter 3. Let us now hear God's word. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. And who is equal to such a task? Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity, as those sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Amen. We'll end our reading there. Let's ask for God's help. Father in heaven, thank you again for the privilege of coming to your word. Thank you that it is sharp and powerful, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It, it will discern to us uh, who we are and what we need and and how you can transform us into your image. Thank you for the way it gives us Jesus Christ. And thank you for its power to cleanse and purify, to lead us into a greater knowledge of you. So help us to hear the word tonight, to see Jesus Christ in it, and to go out rejoicing in him. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the verses that we have read tonight address issues of qualification and validation in ministry. Who's qualified to be a minister and what counts as a valid ministry? Pressing questions of, of application at any time and, and in front of us now. Now, Paul, in this letter, he's been defending his ministry decisions. There's been uh, those in the church at Corinth who were not happy with certain decisions that he had made. And he is opening this letter by defending those decisions. And he's especially focused in recent verses on the reality of God's leading in his life. That ultimately it is God who leads him along in ministry. He, he's talked about the gospel. He's talked about his attempt to imitate God's character, the character of God that we see in the gospel. That's the character Paul is trying to live out with the Corinthians. Paul has given attention to the effect of the gospel and the lives of the Corinthians. And so as we come into this section tonight, he's going to give particular attention to that last element. How does the Spirit work in people's lives? And even more specifically, how does the transforming work of the Spirit function as a sign of authentic ministry? Paul will argue that it's the work of God among the Corinthians, among the people themselves, that is the strongest proof of an authentic ministry, one he has undergone towards them. Now, in the verses we looked at last time, and, and I, 
I referred to in my opening reading as, you know, we just looked at these verses. Suddenly it dawned on me. It's been three weeks since we looked at uh, these verses. But in the verses that we considered uh, the last time we were together, Paul highlighted both the positive and the negative effects of the gospel. So Paul views himself as a participant in Christ's victory parade. And, and that, that just taps into a big theme in the whole New Testament, that God has triumphed in Christ over the evil powers of darkness to bring about his kingdom, to make a new creation, to start it amongst the people whom he has chosen and is saving. There's a victory parade going on right now in the heavenly realms, and Paul is participating in it. And he is walking behind the train of the victorious Christ like one who spreads incense from a censer. So like a priest in the parade or somebody who might function to spread incense and, and build the atmosphere of the victory parade. That's what Paul is doing as a minister of the gospel. He's spreading the gospel like the aroma of incense from a censer. And for those who believe the gospel, this is a pleasing aroma. But for those who do not believe, the aroma of the gospel stinks. And for Paul to play such a monumental role in people's lives, it causes him to ask the question at the end of verse 16. Who is equal to such a task? And he then spends the next verses answering his own question. And his point isn't to say, oh, it takes just a great person to be equal to such a task. His point is, who could ever accomplish such a work? And in order to answer that then, he says, God alone. And so you know that God is at work when you see the effects of his work in the lives of the people. And so that's what these verses tonight will focus on. The work of God the Spirit in people's lives through the gospel. And let's look at those this evening as they highlight the transforming work of God the Spirit. And let's look at it under two headings. First, the ability to conduct in authentic ministry. Where does that ability come from? Again, Paul asks in verse 16, who is equal to such a task? And the word translated equal there communicates the idea of qualified or credible. Here's how one commentator puts it. Who is adequate or competent to proclaim the gospel? The good news that serves as the dividing line of all humanity. Again, those who proclaim the gospel participate in cosmic-sized matters, spiritual life and death, liberation and destruction. Who can be considered adequate for such a role? It does show in many ways just the unique ministry of life in the church. It's so much more personal and relational and heavy than any other job. Not to in any way downplay those, but that's one of the unique elements of ministry. You're just participating in ultimate realities. And so Paul says, you know, who's adequate for that? Who's qualified for that? Who's competent for that? And in many ways, you could say that is the main question of the whole book. Paul's going to give us a simple answer. If you want to look ahead quickly to the end of verse 5 in chapter 3, Paul says, our competence comes from God. And he'll use chapter 3 to somewhat elaborate on that. So Paul's going to deal with this question now. But, but in many ways, if you want to zoom out on 2 Corinthians and say, what's the idea here of this whole book? It's answering that question. 
what makes a qualified or competent or authentic ministry. That is what Paul defends in this book, and especially here in the heart of the book from chapters 2 through 7. Now, for now, Paul's introducing the question because he wants to set up this contrast between Paul and his opponents, whom he eventually calls the super apostles. And again, more detail on these people comes later in the book. But he does begin to address them now. So he says in verse 17, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. So where does the ability to conduct an authentic ministry come from? Paul will first tell you where it doesn't come from. It doesn't come from money. And that's what he sees certain people doing. How do the false apostles act? They peddle the word of God for profit. To use a more common word, they're hucksters. And the noun here that Paul uses, it's used in other literature, it came to carry this idea of the backstreet peddler carrying on an illicit business, cheating people for his own profit. And Paul says, you know what? That's not what we're all about. We're not about using the people to make a buck. And sometimes when Paul talks in his letters, it's not always a mirror reflection of what's going on. If Paul gives a command doesn't always mean that people were necessarily doing the opposite, but in these instances, I think this is definitely an accurate window. When Paul says, this is what we're not about, he's saying the people who have infiltrated you, that's what they are about. They want to use you for their own ends, particularly money. And in the ancient world, you would have certain traveling teachers where they would only teach if they were paid. In other words, they say, okay, I've got this great knowledge, but if you want to hear what it is, you've got to give me money. The price has to be right. And that is why Paul, at times in his letters, talks about supporting himself. He has the right to be supported by the congregation so he can do ministry full time. But at times he says, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to work a job and I'm going to make my own money so that you know I'm not in it for the money. So you know that this is all about the gospel. So I'm not like those hucksters. And in contrast, Paul says, we speak God's word with sincerity, or that is with pure motives. He claims to have a fundamental integrity and transparency. And again, if you wonder, well, how do we know Paul's telling the truth? I mean, look at the way some pastors act in our day and age. I mean, anybody could say those things. Again, Paul will say, just look at the effect of my ministry in your life. How do you know I'm telling the truth? Because look at the effect in your life. You're being transformed more and more to be like God. You're not also becoming more vicious and lacking virtue. You're becoming more like God. And so as I try to imitate God and God works through the gospel, you become more like God. And then Paul intensifies this claim by pointing out, once again, he is sent from God. So Paul gets his preaching ministry, both his authority and his content, from God. God. And I think that's a good question. Let me broaden it out beyond preaching and and ministry. That's a good question all of us can ask as we pursue the calling God has for us, as we follow God's leading in our lives. At the end of the day, who is ultimately sending me? Who is this 
for. I mean, you can dig so far deep into your, into your own motives and hearts that it's unhealthy. But it is good to have times of self-examination. Ultimately, who does this benefit? Who is this for? Who is behind this? It ought to be for God and his glory. And so Paul notes that that is what is going on in his life and that he is doing this ministry before God, before the one who will ultimately hold him accountable. So that is the ability to conduct an authentic ministry. It doesn't come from money. It comes from God. And so now let's look at the second idea tonight. God's witness to an authentic ministry. How does God bear witness to an authentic ministry? One author writes, Paul defended himself by reestablishing the rules of the game and thereby redefining those eligible to play it. I remember playing ping pong with a friend once and and I was trying to do something I thought was okay. And so he goes, look, do you want to play by the rules or do what you want to do? He was being playful. But, you know, that's what Paul's doing here. He goes, let's talk about the rules of this game. And let me redefine, or no, no, reestablish the rules of the game because that will define those who are eligible to play it. You've got these super apostles coming into your mix. Let me just remind you of the rules God has laid down. And then we'll see what kind of people those are. So Paul, throughout this letter, will commend himself and defend himself by appealing to the Spirit's values. This is what the Spirit says is an authentic ministry. This is what the Spirit says makes an authentic minister. And then this will be the effect in your life. And that will provide a contrast to the earthly values that drives the false teachers. Maybe that is on one level still appealing to the Corinthians, but that's what this transformation process is about. Prioritizing the things of God, not the things of this earth. Now, Maybe you notice it in the opening reading. I'm telling you, all right, we're heading into this section where Paul is going to defend his ministry and commend himself as being in line with what God wants. In most English translations, the first verse of chapter 3 seems to argue against the idea of self-commendation. So the NIV reads, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? And that phrasing seems to expect a negative answer. And that's probably what you have in your English translation in front of you as well. Okay, Paul saying, no, I don't need to commend myself. Again, only the Tyndale Bible, we're going way back here, pre-King James, only Tyndale's translation phrases verse 1 as a statement which communicates a more positive nuance. It reads this way, we begin to praise ourselves again. In other words, chapter 3 is Paul saying, all right, now let me one more time defend myself. And the main commentary I'm using for this sermon series offers three reasons to view verse 1 as a statement, not a question, and one with a positive nuance. Now, again, this may be something that Paul undertakes hesitantly. He may speak somewhat tongue-in-cheek. But I'm going to take the beginning of chapter 3 as Paul saying positively, yes, it's time for me to defend myself again. And the commentary gives three reasons why we should read it that way. Let me just offer these to you uh, quickly. First, it gives a cultural reason. Here's the quote. In the first century, self-recommendation was an appropriate, widely accepted form of self-representation. 
It might be how you introduce yourself and establish trust. You would also use it to restore a damaged relationship. That fits what's going on with the Corinthians. So Paul's self-commendation functions somewhat as a rebuke to the Corinthians. They shouldn't have fallen out with him. So he defends himself in order to restore the relationship, which kind of low-level corrects the way they were acting. In other words, when we talk in our day and day about kind of defending yourself and like, you know, supporting your own values and saying, look, look at what I did, that, that can feel kind of negative or braggy. And the only point this author is making is there was a place for that in Paul's context, that there might be times where in order to introduce yourself, to earn trust, or to restore a damaged relationship, it would be good to say, let's point to some things that show that this is a valid ministry and I'm a valid minister. So culture. Two, the flow of the book. I think this is probably the biggest one. Paul has already said positive things about himself. He just did that in the previous verse, in verse 17, where he says, I'm not like those hucksters. And as the book goes on, he will use the language of recommendation positively several more times. Again, if you get the notes, you can look up the verses if you desire. So again, the commentator writes, there are appropriate and inappropriate forms of self-recommendation. Paul commends himself in a way that is God-centered and ministry-centered. It shouldn't be necessary, but in this instance, it is. And then thirdly, grammar. The two statements in verse 1 are in contrast. The flow of the verse puts them in contrast, and thus we should read it as a statement, not a question. Let me read it to you this way. We are starting to recommend ourselves to you again. Or do we, like some, need letters of recommendation to you or from you? It's an either or. Okay, can I just defend the ministry or do I need someone else to write a letter of recommendation for us? And Paul is saying, I don't need someone to write a letter of recommendation. Why? As you saw in the verses we read tonight, Corinthians, you're that letter. We've already got our letter of recommendation. I can appeal to the divine work in you as the defense and proof of my authentic ministry. So I don't need a letter. I don't need someone else to introduce me. I can just remind you again of all the good that God has done. So I'm going to take the beginning of this chapter positively. Paul's saying, okay, here it is. It's time to recommend ourselves to you again. And the first ground of commendation is the work of God both within and among the Corinthians. Verse 2, we're in chapter 3 now. You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Corinthians, you're the fruit of my ministry, and that is the only authenticating credentials I need. Now, as I've been saying over and over, over, and over again tonight, Paul is going to highlight God's work among them. But, I love this, the first thing Paul draws attention to is their impact on him. He says they are his letter, written in his heart. And your heart is the center of your being. It's who you really are. And so if the Corinthians are written on Paul's heart, that means he loves them, and he is committed to them, and he will express that in his authentic ministry towards them. 
continually striving for restoration, continually striving for spiritual growth, continually trying to, to get the church to get on script and, and play the role that God has for them in the new creation. That is an expression of love that Paul does because he is committed to them. They are written on his heart. So the Spirit is at work among them, but first the Spirit has been at work in him as he has ministered to the Corinthians. And Paul carries his letter of commendation with him wherever he goes. Because wherever he goes, his heart goes. And they are written on his heart. So he's got his letter of commendation written right there on his heart. Again, one author writes, The Spirit has also worked in Paul, fostering a ministry heart of concern, compassion, and commitment toward them. Paul is not an opportunist ministering for his own profit, nor a hireling merely fulfilling an assigned drudgery. He is a called, deeply committed minister of Jesus Christ who loves Christ's church and everyone can see it. And I'm going to keep it professional and just point out how Paul said that, but just know there's a little personal of that in me, but if I do that, I'm going to start crying again. So let's not do that, okay? But just know, when I read those verses, I thought of you this week. Now, in verse 3, Paul turns his attention to God's work within the Corinthians as a proof of his authentic ministry. He says, you show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human heart. Now, he's using a little language here that's going to set up what comes later in the chapter, where he starts contrasting the era under Moses with the work of the Spirit now through Jesus Christ. We'll get to that in the coming weeks, but he's just setting it up now with this language of uh, tablets of stone and written with ink versus the Spirit. Here's the point for tonight. The work and effect of the ministry ultimately originates with Christ in the Spirit. It is not the work of Paul that has produced this Christian assembly, but the work of God. In you know, verse 1, when Paul refers to those letters from, from human agents, again, that may be a little hint. That's what those false apostles did. Maybe they brought letters with them to authenticate them. But Paul can say, ironically, I've got you as my letter of recommendation. And again, Paul, Paul will recognize the role he's played in the work of God among the Corinthians. He's been active in the process. He, he uses that phrase, the result of of our ministry, and, and that communicates the idea that Paul was God's agent in the process. Again, if we use this letter-writing imagery, maybe Paul's saying, you know, I'm the secretary or the, the amanuensis, the one who heard the author speak and then wrote down the letter. Because I'm the one who wrote down this letter that God ultimately is composing. And notice the detail that Paul gives on how these letters are written. They are not written with ink, like an ordinary letter. They're written by the Spirit. They're not written on stone tablets, but on the heart. And this language of the heart and the Spirit calls to mind Ezekiel 11.10. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Again, Paul's setting up this contrast and covenants that he will come to very soon. Now, friends, obviously... You don't write a letter on a stone tablet, at least not one written in ink. It's mixed ministry, uh, excuse me, mixed imagery to set up this contrast that is coming. But for now, he just wants to make this point. Ultimately, the Spirit 
is the one who has worked in the Corinthians' hearts. He's worked in you. He's worked in me. That is how the work of the gospel goes forward. God the Spirit works, and the proof is obvious. So I leave us tonight then with just these two thoughts for application. Again, trying to broaden out to how we all how we live daily, not just thinking in terms of official ministry. For anything that you seek to do for God, know that his resources are what you need and not your own. Saw that kind of with Peter, didn't we? It wasn't the great boasts or the great commitments. It is God's resources that you need, not your own. Here's the good news. He gives the spirit to those who ask. That's the language in one of those parables in Luke, I believe. Will he not give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So whatever vocation God has given you, whatever leading that God has given you, you pray for the filling of the Spirit, and he promises to give it in the ordinary things of life. And two, God is changing who we are on the inside. That's what the Spirit does in the life of the church. At the end of the day, all that matters in church ministry is are people being changed? Are they being changed on the inside? Is God forming his character in us so that we can live as this new creation in God's world? doesn't mean that everything just comes automatically or, you know, spontaneity. You just always just move to do the right thing and do it instantly without any resistance. But is there genuine transformation of character? Not just someone imposing a a list of rules, do's and don'ts, look like this. It's not our conformity. It's the pursuit of a life that is pleasing to God. Transformation of character, that is what the Spirit is doing. So pursue that, friends, with all your heart. Let's pray. Thank God for his mercy. Father in heaven, again, at the end of another Lord's Day, we do thank you for the mercies of God in Christ. For Jesus Christ the Lord, whose image we behold as we gaze into this mirror and by the Spirit are transformed more and more into the image of God. Think of your word. We just love your word. Just sometimes in the very reading of it, there's power, there's refreshment, there might be conviction, there's change, and we thank you for that. Lord, again, work by your Spirit in this church. As we've talked tonight of an authentic ministry, Lord. God the Spirit working in the gospel, work in individual hearts, work in us corporately to transform us more and more into your image. And give us your leading, give us your guidance, give us your encouragement, give us your joy, and may we see your provision. We thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing for our final hymn today. Hymn 406. Now the day is over. And 406, there's two verses printed under the music. So we'll sing verses 1 through 5. You can omit the last verse. Let's sing verses 1 through 5 of him, 406.